We've been doing this show for about six years now, and one man who's been on our short list of desired guests since the very beginning is, in fact, our guest today. William Poundstone is an American author, columnist, and self-described skeptic who sets out to get to the bottom of this or that curious issue, and then not only does so, but writes about it in a style that is as entertaining as it is informative. Two of his works have been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. We've long known that he's our kind of guy based on his Big Secrets series of books in which he set out to determine such things as the secret formula of Coca-Cola, how barcodes work, why Yuri Geller is a fraud, and how they get that ship inside a bottle. Also, how you can beat a lie detector test. Mr. Poundstone's numerous other works include a biography of Carl Sagan, an analysis of betting systems that beat Wall Street, a look at game theory and its father, John von Neumann, and exploration of the limits of human knowledge. These are topics we all find interesting, to be sure. In William Poundstone's latest book, Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It, led us to contact him for an interview. Happily, he's agreed to do this, which allows us to say, welcome to Radio Parallax, William Poundstone. Well, I'm certainly glad to be here. Your new book demonstrates that all elections are inherently unfair to some degree. Now, we, we all revere the uh, concept of living in a democracy, Yet uh, your book shows that uh, the voting process is inevitably flawed, and this was first noted by a future Nobel laureate, Kenneth Arrow, back in 1948. Why are all elections inherently um, problematic? The problem is really something called vote splitting. Uh, whenever you've got two candidates whose, uh, whose support overlaps, that ends up being bad for both of those candidates. For instance, if uh, uh, back in the 2000 election you had Ralph Nader taking some of the vote away from Al Gore, you had Pat Buchanan taking some of the vote away from George Bush. Uh, so it's a very difficult problem, even in the mathematical sense, to figure out how to decide what really is the fair outcome for, for an election like that. And unfortunately, uh, as you say, what Arrow proved basically was that devising a, a perfectly fair system of voting is kind of like squaring the circle. It's mathematically impossible. Uh, so this idea always kind of appealed to me in a sort of perverse way, I guess, because it's, it's totally the opposite of what you're really told in civics class. Uh, Arrow was saying there is something fundamentally wrong um, with the whole idea of voting. Well, your book explores how some methods are more unfair than others, and, and I want to sort of start out by pointing out that what's thought to be the worst method, uh, which is the one that we actually use to elect public officials, plurality voting, simply picking a person's top choice. Yeah, um, that was kind of one of the shockers as I started doing the research. Uh, there's a lot of controversy over which voting system is best, but almost everyone agrees that the absolute worst system is the one we're actually using. Uh, because you, you really lose a lot of information when you just ask people for their first place choice. Uh, if someone likes Hillary, but Obama, they figure, is almost as good, well, you really don't get that if you just mark on your ballot that you want Hillary Clinton. Uh, so the better systems usually collect a little more information, uh, either by having the voters rank the candidates or having them score them, almost like it was a report card or something. 
let's go back in history a little bit to talk about uh, about well, really, how bad things are, because I think this is this is important information. You note that for, of the 45 U.S. presidential elections since 1825, no less than five saw the man who did not get the most votes elected president, which is every ninth election, an 11% failure rate, very high. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of folks blame the electoral college system, but you note that the really a spoiler is the key to all of this. Yeah, in, in at least five uh, of those elections, uh, a spoiler basically determined the election and caused us to pick the second most popular president uh, instead of the first most popular. So as I say, I mean, you wouldn't want to get in an airplane if you knew it had an 11% chance of crashing. But that's basically what we've got with our system of elections. But uh, if, if, you, if, we, if we don't have a spoiler, I mean, we have a two-party system where a spoiler would enter in. We, we used to, we, Americans, we think of that two-party system, but of course, a lot of other democracies have multi-parties and things like that. But this is a very fundamental problem for any democracy, that the more parties you have, the more, the more likely things are to go awry. Yes, that's, that's very much true. Part of the reason we have um, the two-party system is the plurality vote we're using, because it would be even worse if we didn't have that. I know a lot of people in the U.S. like the idea of having more choices than the two major parties, but, uh, but I think you note in the book that uh, you know, third parties like the Greens, the Reform, the Libertarian parties are sometimes funded by the two major parties in this Machiavellian strategy to help, you know, help themselves. Yeah, I think that was actually one of the most interesting things I discovered in the book. Uh, it basically began in 2004, um, where Karl Rove had, uh, was really into uh, what he called metrics, trying to find out what election techniques worked and were cost-efficient. Uh, and one of the things they found out was that funding spoilers is actually one of the most cost-effective things that a candidate can do. Uh, so you may recall in 2000 there were some headlines about the fact that some big Republican donors were giving money towards Ralph Nader's signature drives. But since then, uh, this technique has become thoroughly bipartisan. Uh, and in, particularly in the 2006 election cycle, um, you had you know, Democrats uh, uh, paying for radio ads for libertarians. Uh, you had Republicans helping Greens. So it's really you know, through the looking glass kind of politics. You talk about it, you know, in a general elections, how this can go awry, but really throughout the whole primaries and other systems, you can you can game the system. I know they funded uh, some GOP operatives funded Al Sharpton's efforts a few years back, and uh-huh. back in '72, it's a classic episode where Nixon's people tried to get Ed Muskie out and promote George McGovern, wanting to run against him. Yeah, it's almost the the idea: the enemy of my enemy is is my friend. Uh, you want to to make it. Uh, You'd prefer to to run against the candidate who's easiest to beat, and a lot of this strategizing now um, is aimed at uh, achieving that end. Well, people have noted, uh, this is not really a new discovery, that there's flaws with plurality voting. Uh, I know you have a favorite method, but let's talk about some of the other ideas in the past people have have come up with to try and fix it, like board of voting and and instant runoff. Why are they less than ideal? Back in, in revolutionary France, and of course a lot of the ideas there were very influential uh, among uh, the founders of this nation, uh, they had basically two methods they invented for, boat, for voting. One was called the Borda Count, after Jean-Charles Borda. And it was a very simple uh, idea that you basically rank the candidates from you know, most to least popular, uh, and then basically give a point for, for each ranking. So say if there's, uh, if there's three rankings, you're going to give them, uh, three points if for your first place choice, two points for your second place choice, and maybe one point for your, for your last place choice. And then uh, just add those up, and the candidate who gets the most points 
uh, is going to be the favorite. Now, this is something that's actually used a lot in sports. Uh, when sports writers vote on the Heisman Trophy or Most Valuable Player, they're actually using a board account. And it was used in the French Academy uh, on their voting on uh, new members. Uh, unfortunately, it has, it's very easy to game this particular uh, way of voting. Uh, what people discovered very early on was that you should rank uh, your, your, your favorite's most serious rival at the very bottom of the list, and that kind of penalizes him. Uh, and if people do that, you can get very bizarre results. You can get like this total non-entity winning. Uh, so most people now agree that the board account really is, is not such a good way to go. I like the line you quoted about Borda, who said, well, he did, he did design a system for honest men. Uh-huh. And, of course, he was totally wrong, because even in the French Academy that was supposed to be the <laughs> gentleman scientist, uh, they all ruthlessly tried to game the system. The book is Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It. We're speaking with author William Poundstone. Um, the, the instant runoff's gotten a lot of press lately. It is being used to actually elect some officials in some progressive jurisdictions like Minnesota and San Francisco. Uh, you're not so impressed with its fairness. What, what do you see as its limits? The problem with instant runoff voting is that uh, it, it can be very unfair whenever you've got um, three or more strong contenders in the race. Uh, what happens is there's a phenomenon called the center squeeze. Let's say you've got a Republican, a Democrat, and a strong independent who hopes to draw votes from both the Republican and Democratic parties. And you'd almost have to have a situation like that um, if you think that an independent might actually win. Well, in that case, there's kind of like double um, vote splitting or spoiler effect that penalizes the guy in the middle there. So what that means is that um, uh, the independent almost never can win, even if you can show that that independent actually has the broadest support of all. And in fact, if you do computer simulations of this, you can see that instant runoff voting can actually be very chaotic in the sense that a change of just a few votes can, can swamp, can like totally uh, change the election result in a quite illogical way. Uh, so I think uh, the reason IRV has been kind of popular lately is that it works fine as long as you've got what we call a typical American election of a Republican, a Democrat, and everyone knows those are the only ones who have any chance. Uh, but if you have a situation where there are strong third parties, then it has some pretty serious fairness issues. Well, again, I think Americans have a, a, good, a good feeling about third parties, but uh, this, this creates a lot of problems. Let's talk about the method that you make the, the case for being the, the most fair, range voting. This is something that our listeners probably have already used on the Internet, even if they don't know it by name. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Range voting has almost become the default voting method of the Internet, even though no one knows the name of it. Uh, if you go on YouTube and watch a video, uh, you'll notice that you're allowed to rate that video on a scale of one to five stars. Uh, and if you do that, you'll see it gives you the average rating of that video. And in fact, you can look and see what is the highest rated video for that day or that week. Uh, another example of it would be Consumer Reports. If you subscribe to that magazine, every year you get a questionnaire where they ask you to rate used cars on a one to five point scale. Uh, and then they take the average rating to find out what used car is most reliable. Uh, well, those are both examples of range voting. Uh, so a lot of people now are saying, why not uh, try to apply that to politicians? So with this, the, the ballot would essentially be a report card on the candidates. And you could give them like a flunking grade, uh, a, a top uh, grade, or anything in between. 
Uh, and this may sound a little like ranking, but it really isn't uh, in some very important ways. And the person who's most behind uh, range voting is a mathematician by the name of Warren Smith. And uh, he got quite fired up over this issue during the 2000 election and did this very elaborate, well-designed computer study, uh, which makes, I think, a very convincing case that range voting is really the fairest system of all. Uh, but the job now is trying to convince everyone else of that. Uh, so that's sort of the story I'm telling in the book. Is it the most fair because it's the toughest to game? Uh, yeah, if, if people do actually try to game it, you still get a very good result. Um, there's another system called approval voting, uh, which is actually sort of the short-form version of range voting. Now, with this, you, you can cast a vote for more than one candidate uh, in a race, and the candidate with the most uh, votes wins. Uh, so, in other words, if, if, you, if there were two similar candidates and you liked both, you'd probably give a vote to both of them. And this helps to deal with all uh, many different types uh, of vote splitting. If you were really trying to range voting, you would basically end up doing that, either giving the top score or a zero score. Uh, but even then, approval voting ends up being uh, fairer than most of these ranked systems. Uh, so whether people are honest or try to rank it, uh, range voting still does very good, and for that reason, it's, it's, it's a very robust superiority. Well, it's probably going to take the American public uh, a time to get ramped up on this. Uh, is there any, any evidence that other democracies are thinking about utilizing this? Not that I'm aware of. The only political body that uses a form of range voting, and this is the approval voting form, is actually the United Nations, uh, which uses it in their votes for secretary general. Uh, but when you think about it, they've got countries that distrust each other uh, even more than the Republicans and Democrats <laughs> do. So that if they're able to deal with that kind of political bad karma, I think is a good sign for approval voting. Well, you got up a, a nice write-up in Newsweek magazine last month. Uh, it noted in, in, in the magazine that special interests feast on dysfunction and that you raise a qu question in your book uh, of how mad we're going to have to be before we demand changes in our elections. And of course, in that battle between special interests versus the public, the public has not necessarily been doing that well lately. So I'm guessing that you hope this book uh, out this month is going to rile people up. Yeah, I, I hope it will. Uh, there's, we've learned an incredible lot about voting just in the past 10 years, and really very little of that has filtered down to the public. Uh, so that was basically the reason I wanted to, to get this book out there. Uh, I think because it raises very philosophical questions about what it means to have a fair election. And when you're talking about something like that, I mean, that's something that the experts really can't answer for us. We really have to think about that ourselves. So that's what I hope the book will get people doing. Well, I'm sure a lot of our, our listeners are going to, uh, to, to be uh, very interested in this. What do you suggest they do uh, to, to, for, to further this? Uh, well, there, there is a website for uh, range voting in an organization, the Center for Range Voting. Uh, they actually allow you to endorse it, and they're collecting list of endorsements. There's, there's far more information on there. Uh, it's www.rangevoting.org. Uh, you might take a look at it. And basically just educate yourself and, uh, and learn about all these uh, systems. And, of course, no, what better way to do that to get your book, Gaming the Vote, Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It. Well, I got one final question. Uh, you note on your website that comedian Paula Poundstone is a cousin of yours. Uh -huh. uh, your, your writing is, is pretty funny. Uh, is, there like a, is there a funny Poundstone gene out there? I don't know. There, there may be. I remember when we were kids, we would do little radio shows where, on a tape recorder. So uh, we had a lot of fun with that. 
And it must it must it sounds like family reunions must be must be a gas. Yes, they certainly are. <laughs> well, we hope this will not be your last appearance, uh, Mr. Poundstone. We'd love to talk to you about some of the other works, especially the Big Secret series. I'd love to speak on that. All right. Our guest has been William Poundstone. His new book again is Gaming the Vote: Why Elections Aren't Fair and What We Can Do About It. They they're in stores this month. I'm Douglas Everett. This is Radio Parallax. I promise you in the weeks to come, we will return William Poundstone to this program. And after a short break, we'll have a talk with Judge Joseph Wapner, he of the People's Court. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.